This is Pat Soundbites Unplugged. Unplugged. The podcast where all the artists go to tell it as it is. Careers, music, tours, and more. And here's your host, the man that refuses to eat squid, Pat Calamari. Pat Calamari here. Yes, the host of Pat Soundbites Unplugged. Episode number 67 is actually a funny one. Talk about technology. Got a chance to talk to Mr. Chris P, as in Philip James, of the Burrito Brothers, great rock band, although they're kind of listed as a country rock band. And I laughed because when Chris contacted me, Chris calling from his home in Nashville, we had all kinds of phone issues. What a way to start the day. But we finally got through, and we chuckled and had some laughs about it. And then just about the end of the interview, guess what? We got disconnected. So I had to call Chris back on another line, but it all worked out. Great album they just released in March. It's called The Notorious Burrito Brothers. Got some really good tracks on there that I'm going to certainly play on my show on WBXO. Keeping new music alive on the radio airways is what I do. So sit back, buy the album, The Notorious Burrito Brothers From the band Burrito Brothers. It's all really good stuff. And a great guy and a great chat. A lot of fun. So again, sit tight. Live, love, and gotta laugh. Laugh a lot. Enjoy. Here's Mr. Chris Chris P. James, as in Crispy James. Hi, this is Chris P. James of the Burrito Brothers. And you're listening to Pat Soundbites Unplugged with Pat Calamari. WBXO Classic Rock Redefined in conjunction with Pat Soundbite's Unplugged Podcast and keeping new music alive on the radio airwaves. It's a pleasure to have on our line lead singer, keyboardist, and harmonica player, Mr. Chris P. James of the rock band The Burrito Brothers out of Nashville. What's going on, Chris B.? Chris P. Well, we are. Thank you, Pat Calamari. It's, nice to, it's very nice to be on your show. I appreciate it. How's it going? You surviving this whole lockdown thing down in, uh, yeah. even in Nashville? Yes, doing all right. Can't really complain. It's uh, uh, I feel that I can count my blessings. I, I don't have it as bad as so many other people. Uh, we got our album out just before the whole shutdown took place. It would have been heartbreaking if we'd have spent all last year making an album and got it signed in November and got a release date for early March only to have it all held up. But uh, ours, ours squeezed out before that all happened. And now I've been, though, in isolation, doing a lot of talk like this. Uh, getting to feel like I've got something to pay attention to and to keep me occupied, even though we're stuck inside our home, my wife and I, and two cats and a dog. <laughs> well, Chris, as Chris just mentioned, Chris and his bandmates, the Burrito Brothers, have just released a brand new album of new music entitled The Notorious Burrito Brothers, and I love all the tracks on it. I've listened to it a couple of times. It was released wide. Worldwide on the Store for Music and MVD Entertainment record labels, as Chris said, in March. And yeah, guys, squeezed it in. So congratulations on that, Chris. Before we get into the new album, talk to me about, and you were 
we're just getting into that before we hit the record button. Talk to me about this band's amazing legacy, which... Uh, my notes here say, formed back in 1968 as the Flying Burrito Brothers with the classic lineup of the late Graham Parsons and former founding Birds bassist Chris Hillman and drummer Michael Clark. Tell me about, tell me about these guys and how this all really came about that you know of. Well, in uh, 1968, Barry Cashin from The Remains and Ian Dunlop, who had been in the International Submarine Band with Graham Parson, uh, started playing around town in a bar group that just had different people sit in. Or they had Billy Briggs, also from The Remains, playing with them. And uh, people like Leon Russell and Delaney Bramlett and Jesse Davis and uh, Graham Parsons would sit in and play with these guys who called themselves the Flying Burrito Brothers. <laughs> and uh, and when uh, Chris Hillman split the birds, uh, pretty much he and Graham at the same time, not exactly uh, uh, together parting, but uh, the next thing they both did after Sweetheart of the Rodeo, after being in the birds, was starting their own version of the Flying Burrito Brothers, got a deal on A&M Records and put out the bona fide classic, The Gilded Palace of Sin in 1969. And Graham himself jokingly laughed about the fact that they stole the name from that that group Ian Dunlop had, uh, had given the name to. He also named the International Submarine Band. I'm not sure why those guys thought that was such an uh, attractive name. It sounds kind of crazy. <laughs> like some sort of Mexican circus act or something. But uh, they were clearly enamored by it because the Birds album of 1968 was called The Notorious Bird Brothers. Oh, wow. Great album. And it, they were actually tossing around the this name, Flying Burrito Brothers, and it morphed into that in order to be used as a title for a Birds album. So the reason our album now, 50 years later, is called The Notorious Burrito Brothers is to draw uh, homage, a salute, a nod to all of that, to where it all began. Very good, very cool. And it's listed that the band, and as we talked before about different genres, it says, you know, help put country rock on the map and I think of this band I think of the Eagles and the Eagles is a rock band I think of Pogo Pogo you know they all have little different influences of from the different musicians so to say country rock I just I classify it as rock I mean when yeah that's when, that whole that's that whole era uh, around the same time right at the end of the 60s and early 70s of hippie rock groups that incorporated the country aesthetics, the, uh, the pedal steel guitar or the harmony approaches. It was like Graham's biggest mission seemed to be to turn on the rock crowd, people like the Rolling Stones and uh, Keith Richard, or at least their audience, to, uh, to the idea that country wasn't all a bunch of old fogies and uh, uh, <laughs> closed minded that there was some nice stuff about the sounds about the and so they incorporated it the the whole idea was to pitch that stuff to the hippie audience to the rock audience they were never marketed in country music they were marketed in rock and uh, 
they they just uh, created a hybrid, and it eventually caught on. It actually wasn't wasn't that successful at first, but uh, it sure, at least by the Flying Breeder Brothers, it sort of fell under the radar and then got uh, glorified to the max over the intervening years since then. But, you know, there were groups like Cosby Children Nash, the Grateful Dead. Yeah. A lot of groups and artists who sounded country-ish and were being ditched to the rock crowd. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, Graham, apparently good friends with Keith Richards, and Burrito yeah. Deluxe contains wild horses, and it was released even before the Stones released it on Sticky That's Fingers. Right. Yes. So, I mean, yes. how cool is that? Yeah, except the one sad thing, kind of, uh, is that Jagger and Richards only let them do it on the agreement that they wouldn't release it as a single. And my thought is, I'm not sure why they were so... Uh, protective of that had the Burrito Brothers gotten to release that as a single it probably would have been a pretty big hit yeah and, I mean uh, they're going to get royalties for it right so yeah and looking back now that means it would have been the only hit unless that had opened some sort of doors for future ones but but one of the um, uh, hard things for the subsequent uh, 50 plus years of ongoing Burrito Brothers is that the group has a great reputation as a quality outfit that made great albums, but just the general public, like, you know, classic rock radio doesn't really have the entry of the one big hit or, the, or, or a big hit from back in the day. You know, maybe they could. <laughs> that, that might make sense. A, a classic rock programmer could play Wild Horses by the, the Flying Burrito Brothers. I don't think it would would uh, go over poorly at all. Well, maybe you're giving me a good idea to do that, Chris. I could, I could do that in a heartbeat. You know, this band you just mentioned, the band has certainly had some personnel changes over the years, and now as uh, say the least, that's an understatement. Yeah, right. Yeah. But now, based yeah. in Nashville, you've been involved since 2009, and um, share me with the current lineup of all these extremely talented musicians who are also involved with you and carrying this band's legacy and uh, keeping the new music of the legacy alive. Oh yeah, they sure are. It's a treat to work with Tony Paoletta and Bob Hatter and Peter Young. These guys are virtuosos. They're the highest level of world-class musician that I'm certain of. It. They do sessions on a regular basis, and uh, they're just so adept and tuned in and experienced. And uh, uh, it's, it's, it just goes so smoothly. We've known each other a long time, and uh, so we get that... Uh, that sense, I certainly feel that that the personnel in the group couldn't be any better than who's in it right now. Tony on pedal steel knows how to get the uh, the different sounds. He's uh, aware of basically everything. Sneaky Pete, the original legendary, brilliant steel player of the Flying Breeder Brothers, performed, and uh, he he looks out of the uh, creative enough window to not just play 
some sort of typical stuff. He he digs in deeper, and he's fully capable of executing it. Same goes for Bob Hatter on guitar. He's got at his disposal the the wherewithal to play like just about anybody in the in the history. He plays Bender like Clarence White. He plays electric twelve string like Roger McGuinn. He he uh, just turns to those sensibilities when it fits the song. And then finally, Peter Young just always feels right to me. It just lifts us when we're laying down tracks. And then he's the principal harmony singer in the group. And then furthermore, he's the, he was the engineer. He's the engineer at the board when we're recording and mixing and tracking. He's extremely gifted. Excellent. So it's a really nice chemistry right now. I'm, I'm very, very happy with it. Excellent. Now you guys have been playing, like you said, you've been playing since the uh, since the nineties. I got a note here, Mister Hyde. How do you transition from you know a band of Mister Hyde or you know James P. James, uh, Chris P. James band, and go? Let's carry this torch. Let's get involved. We love this band. We maybe you play there. Maybe you played certain covers when you guys were playing in Mr. Hyde. How did that all transition into what you have today? Well, I'd say it started in 1986 when a friend of mine here in Nashville, Argyle Bell, produced and promoted a Graham Parsons tribute that featured as many people who were associated with Parsons and the Birds and that country rock field we've talked about as he could get on that night. And since many of them were individual singers, or in some cases duets, they um, also had a stage band, a house band for the night. And I got that job that year. So I played keyboards and sang background harmony for a whole lot of the acts that night. It was interesting that Argyle asked any potential band member if they could name five Graham Parsons songs and if they couldn't they wouldn't get the gig and I didn't have any trouble with that I was, I <laughs> you whip it right out them. going hey wait that's right up my alley yeah always has been <laughs> from the earliest age and uh, so I played in 1986 with the Burrito Brothers because at that point in time there were only two guys calling themselves the Burrito Brothers it was Gip Gilbo and John Beelan and so they used the stage band. And then the next year, they returned, and I got the gig again, and that year they recorded. And it came out as an album called Wheels. So starting in 1987, I had credit on my resume of having been on an album with Brothers. And as a result, my stock, my position in, in the music world was up a bit. It was a, quite a, a great break for me, probably the best I ever had. And uh, I started working with more and more cool people. I got to work with Bobby Bear for many years. And uh, so I wound up playing on the International Submarine Band reunion album in the late 80s and, and on the Graham Parsons Notebook album project in the late 90s. And I was available for to be a sub, a fill-in here and there. I, I got to guest on one album singing a tiny bit. And uh, I'm just kind of in the wings. So 
so to speak, which is how every member of the Burrito Brothers ever got in. There's never been an audition. It's always been, if somebody leaves, which just keeps happening. It's happening, right? Uh, they, the, the next, the nucleus who's going to carry on knows who to get. And uh, my turn finally came in 2009. Well, timing is everything, and uh, we want to talk. I wanted to talk a little bit about the uh, the new album, The Notorious Burrito Brothers, which features eight original songs and the band's version of the Dark End of the Street from the Guided Palace of Sin. And uh, I mean, my goodness, uh, Chris, the harmonies. I'm a lyric guy, so I love a lot of the songs, and I get it. I mean, the band, the ensemble playing is very tight. I love Bring It. I love sometimes you. Just can't win. I love burn yeah. my fingers on the coffee pot. Toast is cold, but the orange juice is hot. That is really yeah. cool. <laughs> I, I tend to think, and I don't think it initially was intended this way. That that lyric was in Graham Parsons' notebook. Really? Uh, John Newis had, yeah, John Newis, his friend from the International Submarine Band, who I made friends with, he's passed away now, but back when around 2000 or 1999, somewhere in there, was when they uh, put together a album project from a notebook that John had. And uh, I got involved and I, I made photocopies of some of them and I hope to, uh, to you know, incorporate them. them into songs. Yeah. And that lyric was in the notebook, which we later discovered was essentially a paraphrasing uh, of Graham writing from memory a tune from his friend Fred Neal the folk singer who wrote Everybody's Talking and the Dolphin and uh, so we wound up giving credit to both Graham Parsons and Fred Neal as uh, the lyric authors because there were enough little cases where where Graham changed something and put in a couple lines here and there, and also, even though it was more Fred Neal's work, we later discovered, um, it never would have gotten all over our radar, and we wouldn't have turned it into the song had it not been in Graham's notebook. So they both get the credit for it. But anyway, back to the orange juice. Uh, the toaster's cold and the orange juice is hot. Made me think. You know, Graham's trust fund from uh, Snively Grove's orchards there in, in Florida, the multi-million dollar producer who uh, Graham was, uh, the, I guess, grandson of the guy who, who was the big daddy. And uh, uh, okay. uh, he famously had money coming in all along. And uh, that came from oranges. So when it says the orange juice is hot, I can't help but think, yeah, it sure was, wasn't it, man? <laughs> And boy, what a resource to have. I mean, to have the notebook and looking at what he was thinking and his notes and, like, little lines like that. Um, I'm probably, I doubt that that was, I think that's me applying something, but it's fun to think that way. Yeah, no, it's all, it's all really good. I'm, I'm not a musician, Chris, but I'm a, I'm a, I'm a dinosaur, I'm an analog guy, and um, explain to me, how, how was the recording session with your, with your bandmates? Were you guys all together in Nashville? I mean, today's technology, you can send a wave file back and forth across the, right, yeah. the pond. I, I'm Were you guys all together? 
together? No, we did we did it old school. We all recorded together. Yeah, there you go. A hundred percent true. There's uh, examples of overdubbing, but that's actually a hundred percent true of the old days. I mean, we tracked together. We played the tracks and came up with the, the bed, the body of the music, all playing together. And then other things were added on, little touches, maybe right. guitar solos improved or or added a Tony more than anyone else had his overdubs, which is very, very in keeping with the original concept of the Flying Brito Brothers. I remember hearing in interviews where Graham almost exasperatingly said Sneaky would put 20 overdubs on them and uh, could have been exaggerating, but... Um, but he was the mad scientist who put the, the more crazy sounds on the early stuff. And so Tony's certainly welcome to explore those kind of avenues. And then Bob playing both bass and guitar, and even if all he played was guitar, would be doing some overdubbing because you usually want more than one guitar. You want a rhythm uh, dead there and then you want the, the licks or the solos and stuff so so it's both but it's certainly not like not being together and and building tracks uh, with wave files and stuff it, it's more hands on it's, it's the old school way yeah, I mean, I, I would just be afraid that you would miss some magic. I get it. T technology oh, is great. That you could, you know, today's world, studio time, it, you know, is expensive. Trying to get everybody together is expensive. How how much time do you have in the studio? You know, back in the day with the label going, like, put out something, put out something, hurry up. But I think about it, I think about it like, man, if I was a musician, no matter what instrument, singer, keyboard, whatever, I would want everybody together because I would be afraid that, you know, whether Tony says, let's try this, or Bob says, let's try that, that you miss that magic that really fits in. I agree 100%. Plus, that's where uh, being so efficient and experienced and capable uh, comes into play. These guys don't have to uh, diddle around. They, they tend to have a solid concept of what they're doing. And we do, too. We, we uh, pre-record, pre you know, we demoed everything. We got together and got ourselves ready and learned what we intend to do when we go into the studio. But your quote, your, your sentence about um, missing some magic, I couldn't agree more. I just know, I can feel it in my heart, that the, the, the mood, the overall appeal of the track is enhanced greatly by the fact that Peter Young was sitting there at his drum set playing while we put these tracks down. We felt this thing off each other. It was not like, oh, we know this is the tempo, so let's have a quick track, and right. you're going to add some percussion, and you're going to add some drums. No, no, no. It was, it was all played so that we felt that thing off each other, and it was... It, that is the magic. Right, and you could see the magic of the body language, that you could feel how the song yes. has grown, and you feel how it's, yes. uh, you know, you got the vibe, you know, wait, we got something here. Whether it's bring it, whether it's gravity, whether it's, you know, um, heart's desire, you guys, you just know. I, I just think it's important. Well, we I, I like to ask. I'm sorry? I'm sorry, I kind of interrupted. We have a conviction about it, you know, the, the, the uh, 
the strong feeling that that's what we're about. That's the, the message we intend to portray and the, the way we want people to realize that we absolutely do it. We, we are the farthest thing from, from this way that so much of of popular music is made today where it's uh, one guy building a track with sequence and just like that we get disconnected and what a day for phones okay we're gonna bring we're gonna continue the conversation with chris right now hello I, i'm like what well, i just completed a whole thought and then realized i was talking to i'm like no 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 again with I'm just I always like to ask the question I mean just the my curiosity and, and, and you know what and folks say you know we sometimes you know we got a guy that lives in London and part of the band so we have no choice to use the technology and it works but for the most part 90 90% yeah. of the folks always say trust me if we can get everybody together there that's the home that's the, that's the meat and potatoes that's the home run oh yeah well and plus the uh, the idea of using that technology uh, to to add to the ease of finishing the product or or, or getting it done where that's not your focus except your your main plan of attack is fine. That's beautiful. It's not all or nothing. But I, I was saying when we were lost there for a minute that it's, uh, it's important to us at the statement to be musicians who interact among each other, uh, working together, as opposed to the way so many tracks are now made in popular music where it's just one guy in a studio starting with a electronic drum sound and adding fake sounding bass and, and all these synthesized instruments and then getting somebody to talk or sing over it we're the opposite and yeah we're, I, I don't even like calling it old school I don't want people to listen to think oh listen to the old fogies it, it, there's nothing about it that should be considered old fashioned or out of date I would like to believe that at some point the cycles come back to people wanting to hear actual human beings playing music Absolutely. I, I totally agree, Chris. And, you know, to talk about timing, as you mentioned before, the challenge of releasing the album, and you got, got past all that, and then, bang, we got this... COVID-19, so I can imagine you guys are biting at the bit. What's your thoughts, your first live show with an audience once you get the green light and you can showcase some of these great songs? Well, it'd be sweet. We, we aimed our goals overseas, thinking that um, it's quite possible that we could get... Uh, higher degree of attention and, and respect uh, from audiences there who who recognize the legacy of the group coupled with the uh, talent of people who are playing a uniquely American art form and, and in much the same way that the black jazz guys from the late 50s and 60s went overseas, went to Europe, guys like Dexter Gordon, 
and found really good success and acclaim. Uh, while at home, they were almost ignored and they were treated with uh, prejudice. It just it occurred to us that we don't exactly fit in any of the real prevalent niches in the uh, fast food USA right now. Now, I don't mean to, I have to watch putting it wrongly because we've had a lot of nice attention in the United States and, you know, I'm getting it right now from you. I, I, I don't have disdain for it. I just think there's a chance that we could uh, sort of cruise easier. So we got our deal in in England and uh, boy that went pretty darn seamlessly it was sweet a guy named Bob Boiling arranged it for us and we weren't even but a little over halfway through the album and he happily explained to us that, that he'd gotten us our deal and it's a major deal it's SFM Worldwide Distribution that's uh, Brian Adams company he's not the singer from Canada he's a guy with the same name as we Mentioned earlier the right. common name situation, but uh, you know it's funny that you uh, say that because I I I, um, I interviewed um, Chip Taylor. I don't know if you uh, remember Chip, and he says you know the same thing. He says there's something about Europe. He says that my shows sell out in Europe and Sweden, and I got a big fan base out there. Not to say it doesn't happen in the States, but it, there's something about that over there. And I said, really? He's like, yeah, you just, he goes, I can't put my finger on it, but I know between my booking agent and my management, we always, if I come out with a new album, I always hit the, the, you know, the UK to Europe end first, and, and it breaks me through, and then... I come in here and I play the States and I met Chip over here locally um, at Daryl's Hall's venue here, Daryl's house, where I oh, met yeah. where I met Chip. Uh, he, where he, I mean, he lives in New York City, but look, you know, 80 miles away. People say away. I look like him. <laughs> like Daryl Hall. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I'm sure, like I said, you're biting at the bit to get to wherever to get on stage and to share the great tracks. I'm certainly going to look forward to... Uh, you got me thinking, man. I got to play a little Wild Horses and a, a little Bring It or, uh, you know, sometimes you just can't win. I got no problem doing that, keeping new music alive here on the radio airways. Oh, thank you. The, uh, yeah, we, we, go we regard that album as a, uh, it, it's a concept album. It, uh, um, it flows from the get-go. The first song is the invite in. Come on, join us. Let's bring it on. The last song is the finale that ties everything up and makes allusions to everything that was that happened in the album before and many significant lyrics and and things to do with the history of rock. And then there's the the pacing, the acrostic, which is a poetic tool that uses the first letter of each line in the lyric to spell out a secret message. Wow. Uh, yeah, acrostic. Um, if you read down the left-hand column of the lyric sheet of the pretty song acrostic, which I wrote for my mother who passed away, okay, ago, uh, it says, uh, "Make us famous. We need to be heard." <laughs> so I was hoping that uh, 
that that would have some sort of internal strength to it, and uh, and uh, who knows? That's kind of it's uh, kind of crazy hippie thinking, maybe. But uh, I don't believe anybody has ever written an acrostic as a lyric before. I don't know. I've never heard so, of anything like that. Yeah. So it's it's it an interesting thing to do, and then we got like a ten or eleven minute suite in there based on a melody Bob Hatter and I started many years ago called Love is a River. In my mind, the, uh, in our minds, the, the whole approach of the Notorious Burrito Brewers is a full listening experience, an album to hear as a whole. Well, I, I definitely love it. I'm going to play a bunch of tracks. It's available right now on all the music outlets. I know Amazon and Apple. Is it on Spotify and all that too, uh, Chris? Yes, yeah, because this SFM is so well-placed, it's everywhere that people are used to looking for albums. Excellent. And for yeah. certainly for more information on uh, Chris and the, the guys, go to the website, theburritobrothers.net. Chris, yeah. I hope you enjoyed the chat as much as I have. Oh, I certainly have. It's been a pleasure. Nah, it's all good. Much success, man. I can't wait to catch you guys on the road and get you up here in New York. And uh, I'm going to keep uh, playing the tracks and get it out there. It doesn't, uh, it's all good, my man. It's all good. Yes, it is. Thank you so much, Pat. Our yeah. man, Chris B. Chris B. I keep saying B. Chris P. James. <laughs> Chris P. as in Pat James from the Burrito Brothers. Chris P. Burrito. Chris P. Burrito. <laughs> Chris P. Burrito. Only on WBXO and the Pat Sound Bites. I love it.